Thanks for tuning in to the Roundtable Podcast, Episode 42. Hello, literary alchemists. I'm Dave Robison. And I'm Ryan Stevenson, filling in for Brian Humphrey. And you're listening to the Roundtable Podcast. Each week on the Roundtable Podcast, we invite writers to come onto the show and present a story idea to us and to our esteemed guest host. Indeed. And then we then we sit it down politely. We serve it tea and crumpets. We make it feel right at home and comfortable, fluff its pillows a little bit, and then we ask the tough questions. We turn the hot spotlight on it and we say, what are you really about? And ultimate <laughs> story and inter- it's story interrogation time. Uh, uh, and ultimately through this wonderful byplay between all of us here, uh, uh, we find a great mountain of what we like to call literary gold. <laughs> Brian does that so much better than I do. I, I, I so miss him. Yeah, but, but no one can as effectively go from a scene of like being served tea at grandma's house to a hot interrogation room as quickly and efficiently as you just did there. So, you know, <laughs> thank you. Thank clap, you. I, clap, clap, sir. Well played. I, I appreciate that. Hey, no worries. And 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 while I while we're all missing Brian, Rye, dude, it is always a pleasure to share the mic with you. You bring mm-hmm. such a delightful a delightful aesthetic of the weird and the wonderful with I you. I am handsome, aren't I? Thanks you for are noticing. You are ruggedly, Jeez. ruggedly I'm, handsome. I'm scrubbing my chin did. right now. Feels <laughs> right. Feels good. Having some, having some work done. That's right. Yeah. No, in all seriousness, I hey man, I'll come back any day of the week. It's uh, in fact, I pretty much just hang out outside, and if I see Brian leave, I see <laughs> all the chair while he's <laughs> Hey Dave, you need me? <laughs> you are the man. Ah, uh, well, and and speaking of the man, uh, uh, do let's invite the man. Uh, back to the big chair, shall we? Uh, ladies and gentlemen, uh, uh, the author of the Raira Revelation series uh, and and author of so much more literary goodness to come, uh, a gentleman, a scholar, and a, a literary deconstructionist, uh, please welcome back to the big chair at the round table, Michael Sullivan. Michael, thank you so much for rejoining us and workshopping a story with us today. Thank you for cleaning the chair. <laughs> yeah, absolutely, and I apologize for that. That that was that was a an unfortunate accident involving milk and and spiders, and and it's, that's okay. It's very nice now. It's very cushy. It's very roomy. I like we, it. We buffed it. Good. <laughs> and and that bottle there is yours. Use it as you will. That's entirely up to you. Uh, so, uh, Michael, the Raira revelations are are going great guns out there from Orbit Books uh, uh, and commanding more and more fans every day. Uh, But I know that that's not the only project that you have going on. I was wondering if you'd take a minute and share with our listeners uh, uh, some of the stuff that they can look forward to from the desk of Michael Sullivan. Is there something coming up they need to know about? Uh, Well, yes. I've finished uh, working on edits for The Crown Tower, which will be coming out in August of next year which is going to be a prequel to the original series covering the how Royce and Hadrian originally met. Uh, so that's kind of a... I had a number of people asking for... I actually had up my blog uh, sort of uh, asking readers what they wanted to see, and that was like the number one response. They wanted to see Ooh. the origin story, if you will. Sure. Uh, everyone likes to see how Spider-Man started. So, that's yeah, right. Same thing for this. 
Uh, and then it actually became sort of a two-book series, uh, although then I realized that that would be bad because then people would be like waiting for the next book and then waiting for the next book. So what I actually came up with was something called the, uh, the Raiura Chronicles, which is going to be completely confused with the Raiura Revelations, I know, but it's the only way I could really define <laughs> the difference. So if I intend to continue this kind of throwing out an occasional story about Raiura, uh, that's where it's going to be coming up. I, I, that way I can have the fun of being able to do that and have a place and a structure to write stories about uh, that world without having it interfere with other projects that I'm working on. Okay, and, cool. Uh, so I, I'm, I'm hoping to do some science fiction and some other non-Royce uh, and Hadrian-related fantasy work, but uh, the Chronicles will allow me to at least appease some people who are never going to seemingly be, be satisfied that that series ended. That's right. You've you've gave them the free nickel bag of of Royce and Hadrian. Now they want more. <laughs> now they're hooked. It's a gateway drug, and you've got them hooked. That's excellent. Um, but it, not just genre work, correct? You're actually exploring other uh, uh, literary forms, literary fiction. Well, like I said, I was doing uh, science fiction right now. It's the first thing that I'm kind of working on at the present time. Uh, I think you're making references to Burden to the Earth, which is actually an old story, which may or may not be released. I don't know if I can find a market for it. It would be difficult for to, to sell that to my present uh, fans because it is so markedly different than my entire style. Uh, the subject matter, the concept, it would be very, very different. And I don't know how to actually market something of that nature. I don't know that it would sell all that well. Uh, and I'm not sure that Orbit would be interested. I haven't even submitted it to them. But uh, right now, like I said, I'm, I'm working in, in a completely different sort of style, a little bit longer, a little bit more uh, flowery, if you will, uh, a little more serious literature, not much, but slightly more. <laughs> um, but, but, but not quite the fast pace of the other fantasy. But uh, those are the kind of things I'm, I'm kind of playing with right now. And then, of course, I'll, I'm going to be going doing some uh, larger work, uh, a trilogy of some sort I'm planning around next year this time. Excellent, and and to, be, may, to begin work on, not to release <laughs> next yes, year. Yes, understood. Time, come to books at the mm-hmm. part of the Raiura. Well, I'll see. And and Raiura came out so fast and so quick that there's an expectation there. But uh, but yes, definitely take your time with those. I, I was curious what what kind of science fiction. I don't want you to necessarily give away details, but are we talking space opera? Are we talking near future, far future? It's uh, basically a, a time traveling situation where someone jumps ahead in time, and you'll see how the world changed. Ooh. Excellent. Very cool. What about um, what about conventions? Are you making any convention appearances or book signings? Uh, let's see. I just got done with uh, New York Comic Con, um, but other than that, I don't know of anything that I have planned at this moment. Okay. Uh, it's always a possibility I might turn up at Balticon again. Uh, Yay! That would be year, awesome. But, but I, I, I have nothing planned at the moment. No, no tickets have been bought. Okay. All right. Well, more time to write, and that's yeah. that's always important. Mm-hmm. Well, thank you. Michael, we will make sure all of that gets into the liner notes so that the fans know what to be looking for uh, from you. Thank you for that. Oh, well, one more thing I could add. Uh, I also yeah. have a short story in the anthology called Unfettered, which is coming out, I believe, the beginning of next year. And it has all kinds of great authors in it. Mm-hmm. Okay. Uh, and I think Sean Speakman, it, it's in a benefit to Sean Speakman, who I believe is also the editor. Okay. And what's the, what's the theme of the anthology? Uh, it's unfettered, meaning that the writers can do whatever the heck they want. <laughs> Always. Essentially, that's what it is. But it has like you know Brandon Sanderson and Patrick Rothfuss and Mark Lawrence and and Terry Brooks. I mean, everybody you can imagine who's anyone in fantasy is in this book, and somehow I got in. I'm not sure how that happened, but uh huh, uh huh. No, that that you 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 will sit distinguished beside those giants, sir. 
Um, that's outstanding. Excellent. We'll, we'll, we'll make sure that gets in there as well. Um, gentlemen, what I'd like to do now is pause briefly and, and share some of our, our pod time, uh, with another fabulous podcast or, or a newly released ebook, uh, Kickstarter project or some other awesomeness that needs to be promoted. And when we return, I would like to workshop a story. What do you say? Let's do it. Sounds good. Yes, let's by all means do that. Friends, don't go anywhere. We will be right back. The Great Reawakening did not come quietly. Across the country and in every nation, people began to develop terrifying powers, summoning storms, raising the dead, and setting everything they touch ablaze. Overnight, the rules changed. Colonel Alan Bookbinder is an army bureaucrat whose worst war wound is a paper cut. But after he develops magical powers, he is torn from everything he knows and thrown onto the front lines. Drafted into the Supernatural Operations Corps in a new and dangerous world, Bookbinder finds himself in command of Forward Operating Base Frontier. Cut off, surrounded by monsters, and on the brink of being overrun. Now he must find the will to lead the people of FOB Frontier out of hell, even if the one hope of salvation lies in teaming up with the man whose own magical powers put the base in such grave danger in the first place. Oscar Britton, Public Enemy Number One. From Ace Publishing comes Shadow Ops Fortress Frontier, the second book in the Shadow Ops trilogy from award-winning military fantasy author Mike Cole. Look for it in paperback or ebook in January 2013. On the frontier, even magic won't save you. Hey, Dave, guess what time it is, buddy? What time is it, Ryan? Oh, it's time, baby. It's time for us to do the part of this show that is the show, man. This is what we do. <laughs> this is where we get into the best part of the roundtable experience. This is where we workshop that story. Uh, something missing, though, man. There's something that we need so that we can do that, and I think you know what that is. Dave, who you got for us, baby? Oh, uh, Ryan, our guest writer is a strange and conflicted man. Uh, he lives in central Florida, and he hates the heat. <laughs> All right. He has a bachelor's degree in English and a master's degree in freelance mercenary work. Now, I'm not sure about that last part. That might be complete BS. But uh, after a lifetime of being told his stories were good, including winning a sixth grade writing contest that earned him a trip to the White House. Nice. Uh, yeah, exactly. He finally decided a couple of years ago to get down to business. Now, he failed his first NaNoWriMo attempt, but with dogged determination, returned the next year and was victorious. Yes, he is the co-host of a radio show called Second Shift at callfm.com and a writing advice podcast called The First Million Words that I have had the pleasure of being on, and it was a delightful experience. And he also once won a game of Star Wars Trivial Pursuit with the answer, Bib Fortuna. <laughs> See, and I would I would have totally lost. That would have been the end of my game. So so this guy's got major geek cred. Ladies and gentlemen, please welcome to the writer's chair at the round table, Mr. Ben Love. Ben. Hi. Uh, hi. <laughs> ben, thank you so much for braving wolf spiders uh, uh, and, and having the courage to to step up and offer a story for workshopping, man. We so very appreciate that. Mm -hmm. Well, thank you. And I was not nervous until just now. 
<laughs> well, I always say, if you're not a little nervous, you don't care enough. So it's all good, my friend. Well, I um, care a lot right now. Yeah. Well, and I'm, I'm just, I'm kind of curious because clearly you've been writing certainly uh, since well before sixth grade. Where do you think that comes from? I mean, there's a, there's a deep nascent storytelling impulse there. Uh, uh, where, where did that come from? Uh, probably comes from my dad. Uh, oh, yeah? He was the same way. He um, actually has a big folder full of story ideas. And uh, most of them he wrote in the you know 70s, 60s and 70s, and never got around to uh, making full stories out of them. Okay. Uh, but most of them have been stolen from him um, through osmosis. Wow. Other yeah. writers have literally leached them <laughs> off the page. Yeah. Bastards. Yeah, a lot of a lot of stuff out there. He's like, you know, I thought of that in 1972. <laughs> <laughs> That's awesome. Like father, like son. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Well, and and let's do your dad proud uh, and workshop the story that you brought. What do you say? Sounds good. I couldn't agree more. All right, here's the deal, Ben. We're going to give you uh, five to eight minutes. Give us the title of the story if you have one. Uh, the genre, the format, is it going to be a short story, a novel, a series of novels, what have you? Uh, introduce us to the world if it's a strange and unique place. Um, introduce us to the characters and then give us uh, a basic signposts of the story so that we have all the rich story goodness we need to do some workshopping, okay? All right. I'll all start right. my timer. Yes, the mic, sir, is all yours. We will get out of your way. All right. Well, the title of the book is called The Stolen Tome. Uh, It is a continuation from a short story I wrote called Theft and Bloodshed. Uh, It's a high fantasy detective story. uh, And this one I want to make a novel because I really like the characters in the story. So I want to go for novel and maybe make it serialized, a bunch of kind of long novellas, something like that. Uh, it's basically uh, Dan Aykroyd's Dragnet meets Epic Fantasy. Uh, so it's a by-the-books detective and a stolen tome. Uh, a, a tome has been stolen from a church by a newly resurrected cult of zealots. And he has to find the tome and stop the ritual uh, within the book from being completed before blood is spilled and innocent people are sacrificed. The theme of the story, and I've been working hard on this one, is uh, it's about doing what's right even if there is nothing backing you up or nothing to gain from it, uh, as in no higher power or laws or organizations. It's just, you know, go out there and be a good person because it's fun and it makes the world a better place. Uh, speaking of world, uh, the story is set in a world where uh, magic is commonplace. Uh, all the people of the world are kind of separated into continents. Uh, each continent has its own magic system pretty much, uh, except for the city-state of Aramar, which is where the story takes place. It's its own realm with people from every other continent as its inhabitants, and uh, it's an island that is one giant city, and it floats around the world uh, kind of in a chaotic path, so it never stays in the same place. Now, the characters, uh, like I said, it's kind of based on, on Dragnet, so we have the protagonist is named Royan Ward, and he is a watchman or a detective of the City Watch of Aramar. Uh, Magically speaking, he can inscribe runes onto metal and unlock a spell by tapping into the rune. He can inscribe them on on his sword to give him strength and healing, stuff like that. That's kind of not too important to the story, but I I liked it. Uh, His greatest strength 
more or less is his weakness. He's sometimes too by the books. Uh, the city is his big love in life. It's his city. He puts his job in front of everything else in his life, so he has no family to speak of, no social life. His great-grandfather helped to found Aramar and was one of the first of its watchmen. Uh, so basically being a cop is in his blood. He is supported by his partner, Dependu Tapley. You can just call him Tapley. Uh, and he's basically a foil for Ward, uh, where Ward is by the books and all about order. Uh, Tapley is kind of the Tom Hanks uh, character from Dragnet. He's he's flexible, a little sloppy, and not to say that he's crooked. He does the right thing, but he bends the rules if needed. The primary antagonist is kind of complicated. I, I put a lot of thought into this. Uh, the man that stole the tome is a centurion of the City Watch. His name is uh, Liberius. As an orphan, he was once turned away by the church when he was seeking help for an injured friend, and he blames the church for the death of his friend, steals the tome to complete the ritual, and he fully believes that nothing will happen when the ritual is complete, thus debunking the church beliefs and proving them to be false. Uh, but the real antagonist now <laughs> is uh, a high cleric Corinna of the church, and she is the leader of the church. She knows how the ritual actually works, uh, and because she's been stealing different ciphers, allowing her to do the ritual properly. Uh, and she wants to do the ritual uh, to control political power in Aramar, uh, because the ritual uh, apparently, according to legend, grants uh, pretty potent uh, powers of persuasion, and she wants to bring order and peace to Aramar that way, but, you know, her order and her peace. Let's see, the story is uh, Ward and Tapley. Uh, I kind of put this in a seven-point system. I, I know you talked about it with Dan Wells before. and Yeah, yeah, yeah. I, I, I like that system, so I'm sticking to it. <laughs> uh, Ward and Tapley, they're secretly assigned to track down the missing tome, secretly because the high cleric uh, Corinna doesn't want it known that the tome was stolen. And uh, it just so happens that Ward's boss, his centurion, is a member of the church. So he agrees. Uh, the high cleric of the church says that uh, it's probably this evil cult that has stolen the tome uh, because it sounds like something they would do. Uh, the first plot turn, as it goes, is uh, Ward and Tapley are told by uh, a, a lower cleric of the church named Dahlia uh, that nobody in the church except for the high cleric herself knows exactly what is inside the book. And it's highly improbable that this cult stole it uh, because their members are scattered and they're pretty much just legend anyway. Uh, now because of leads and evidence, we get to the, the middle part, which is where the, the watchmen track down Liberius. They find out that he has the tome. Uh, and he's holding cleric Dahlia, the one that they were talking to, and plans to sacrifice her for the ritual. And pretty much everything goes wrong. Liberius is killed. The building burns down. They assume the tome goes away in the fire, too. And uh, the girl is critically injured in a coma. But before she passes out, she mentions to Ward that uh, somebody must have gotten in and stolen the tome. And they need to go get it. And now because they've pretty much failed and burned down a building and haven't recovered the tome, Ward and Tapley are fired. No longer part of the city watch, and they're, uh, they're on their own. 
after that, Tapley, Ward's partner, convinces him to keep pursuing the, ter- the tome, even though they have been fired. And he convinces them to do what's right, you know, even though they've been stripped of their titles and powers as watchmen, if for no other reason than to fulfill Dahlia's wishes. And uh, all they have are clues and Ward's old sword that belonged to his great-grandfather. They learn the location of the tome and the thief. They contact their centurion to meet them there. And when they get there, it's revealed that the high cleric was behind the whole thing. Uh, She kills their centurion. And then Warden Tapley uh, are, are bound and gagged, and she begins to complete the ritual. Now, ba- basically, Ward uses his grandfather's sword, which, much to his surprise, works for him, even though the runes are attuned to his great-grandfather, not him. And they kill the cleric and kind of reverse the ritual's effects. And then, at the end, it ends with Warden Tapley recovered the tome and have stopped Corinna. Uh, Ward hides the tome telling the disenfranchised members of the church to keep on believing if that's what they feel led to do or to just go on living good lives despite not having the tome or a leader. Uh, Ward and Tapley are offered their old jobs back, but they decline because they want to branch out into private investigations. Uh, and that's where I figure the, the rest of the story will go once this is over, uh, if I want to serialize it. And that's pretty much it. Outstanding. Excellent pitch, sir. Well Thank done. Um, what... Ben, are you hoping to get out of this conversation? What what are you feeling needs to be bolstered in your story? What's missing? What what can we help you with this evening? Well, like I said, I have, and we talked about this before. I think uh, uh, we're talking about um, villain uh, or antagonist motivations, and uh, a lot of times I kind of default to, oh, this person is power hungry and they're pure evil, you know, and mm-hmm. I'm I'm really trying to avoid that, so. Uh, that, and then I just, you know, I know I don't have the full plot yet. I don't have like the clues that they're going to pick up on because it's, right. you know, detective story. They need that. So, you know, I could probably use a little help with that as well. Okay. All right. I think we can help, sir. Okay. Um, but, uh, Rye, would you be so kind as to cover our ass before yes, we do? Yes, I'm good at that. <laughs> uh, all right. So here it is. All the advice and the suggestions you're about to hear from Dave, from myself or from Michael could be complete hornswoggle. It's up to you if you want to pilfer it or not, or if you just want to toss it back into the musty brown satchel from whence it came and send it to the bottom of your nearest river. That's your story, man, not ours. And we're just here to offer some treats in that hemp and loot bag that is our ideas and thoughts. Are you okay with that? Sounds good to me. Cool beans. Hemp and loop bag is my new favorite term. <laughs> yes. I'm trying awesome. to avoid cooking metaphors. I always go there. So I figured let's go with bag metaphors. I don't there know. There we go. Awesome. Yeah, no, hemp and loop bag. I'm all over that. <laughs> oh, very cool. Awesome. All right. Well, uh, let's take a turn around the table then and get some initial impressions and some uh, uh, questions of clarification as there inevitably are. Uh, and it is our custom to defer always to our guest host. So mm-hmm. Michael, what are your first thoughts and impressions of Ben's story idea and do you have any questions to, to clarify certain points that maybe weren't so clear uh, no I, I, I thought it was a great idea I was very you know interested in what he was saying I was like wonder, can I read this now <laughs> uh, the, the, how far have you written this or have you not written any of it yet uh, I have plotted it and uh, well, I mean what I told you is uh, mostly all I have and I, I also have uh, this this whole story takes place in a big world I made, so I have all this magic system and stuff, mm-hmm. but I won't get into that. But uh, yeah, I basically just have these and seven it, points here. 
And have you done any like character descriptions or anything like that? Well, a bit. I like I said, I I have written a, a short story that had these same two characters, mm-hmm. and uh, I know them pretty well since I I, I basically have just ripped off. Uh, you know, yeah, Dan Aykroyd. I, I, I got the impression that that you know the main characters. I was actually thinking more along the lines of your your an, you know your antagonists. No, they're 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 new to me. Pretty pretty ah, new. Okay, yeah. Uh, in your initial, I only noticed a few things that came that jumped out at me. One was uh, I know your theme is to do basically what's right, even though you don't have any reason to. But mm-hmm. that actually stood out as a problem for me in your in your description, which is. The biggest thing I know is I almost always find with aspiring writers is that they don't have the motivations of the characters defined, mm-hmm. and they have people do things for no particular reason. And readers can usually pick up on that pretty quickly and say, "Well, what? <laughs> Why yeah. would they do that?" So, in in this story, I would think that even if it's just as you said, this is uh, what was your your main character's name? Uh, Ward. Ward. No, Ward. I mean, Ward, if it's his city, he could just take as a personal, you know, revenge or personal affront to his, his city that this person's trying to cause trouble. So, I mean, you have to have some reason why he would pursue this and basically, I'm assuming, breaking the law by pursuing this, this uh, you know, trying to apprehend this individual. Now that he's no longer, you know, a legal police officer as you, I don't know, Centurion, I believe you call him now. Um, the other thing I noticed is that you don't have a love interest. Is is that something you're you're intentionally not doing, or just something you may have forgotten? Uh, it may be something I've forgotten, but uh, um, I mean, it doesn't have to have one. I did actually didn't have one in mine mine either. But I'm just wondering if that's something you even thought of. Uh, just uh, on the the periphery, I haven't really thrown that in. No, dude, you totally have a love interest. You just don't know it yet. <laughs> <laughs> Look at Dahlia. Oh, Dahlia the, is yeah. totally primed to be a love interest. Totally primed. But we can talk about that later. We can oh, talk yeah. about that later. Yeah. Excellent, excellent. Good, that's good. Good initial uh, uh, questions and and uh, observations. Uh, Rye, what do you got, sir? Yeah. Um, see, the funny thing about being on this show is I'm such a character guy. Um, <laughs> so when you started this out and you talked about how much you like the characters, I I wanted to really focus in on those components when you got to them and just sort of delve into them. Um, mm-hmm. The two main characters, Tapley and Ward, are are interesting. I can visualize them. They're easy to to see, and I like that. And I think that there's nothing in any way, shape, or form wrong with the idea that you're you're saying they are Dan Aykroyd and, and uh, Tom Hanks. Basically, that gives me a visual. That gives me something to work with psychologically. I did hesitate a little when you started talking about the idea that it was Tapley that actually convinces Ward to do the quote-unquote right thing when I compare that against your theme, which was doing the right thing when there's no one there to support you. Um, mm-hmm. I say that because I'm I'm always hesitant when the person that you indicated was the protagonist is not the one that that steps up to the plate at that point. If you ask me, it's the support character that steps up and, you know, kicks that protagonist into the pool. So I'm going to, I'm going to hammer that point (laughs) home a bit from my perspective that I think you might want to consider, uh, either the minor idea of making it Ward who says, aha, it's time for me to do the right thing or flipping who's the protagonist and who's the support character. 
That that could also work, however, if for some reason Ward had a failing of faith in some way to where he was the one who was driving the story, and then for some reason he gives up, and then the secondary character gives him the strength to come back on. True. I, I just didn't get that impression when we got there. No, I, I didn't I, either. I, I'm just saying that yeah, <laughs> if that I, was a problem, they could go that way as well. Yeah, absolutely. Very true. Um, I like the flow of the plot. I think it, it, it works quite well in that. There are going to be a lot more questions that come up, but right now I'm going to, when we get back to it, I'm going to kind of hang around that area there for a bit and see what we can't come up with. Cool. Cool, cool. Mm-hmm. Um, excellent. Uh, for myself, uh, definitely echoing the sentiments that this is a cool story, Ben. Mm-hmm. Uh, you've got some good mojo work in here. I love the fact that the island floats all around the world uh, and is a melting pot of every culture in that world. I think that that has a lot of legs. I remember when I I uh, was I was watching a DVD of of Buffy the Vampire Slayer, watching some of the director notes. Uh, and they were talking about how whenever they had a theme that they wanted to bring up in the story, they'd just invent a demon that illustrated or demonstrated or somehow exacerbated that thematic element in some way. <laughs> and I can see this being almost like an Ankh Morpork from from Terry Pratchett's yes. <laughs> yeah from Terry Pratchett's Discworld series, where you've just got every single weird shit going on thing. There's sections of the story that the reader never sees until one of the protagonists goes into it and poof, here is a weird race with a weird culture that fits perfectly with whatever it is that you're trying to say. Does that make sense? Oh yeah. Yeah. If, if if I may, uh, I can very briefly tell you where I got the inspiration from that. Very briefly. Sure. Okay. I I went to visit uh, Puerto Rico with my, my wife and uh, we visited her family and, her, you know, her whole family's from there, and it, it basically is a big uh, melting pot. There's even a big statue of, uh, uh, you know, the, the like the three represented like big races that kind of make up, you know, Puerto Rican that's culture. Awesome. Yeah, and I was like, I love this place. Well, and, and so you have firsthand yeah. reference to draw from. That's that's excellent. I'm sure that'll help inform your writing. Yeah. I wanted to ask you. You invoked the Dan Aykroyd dragnet, and yes. does that mean Ben that you're writing a comedy? Well. I wanted some funny bits. Uh, uh, I, I don't. I don't want it just to just be you know serious all no through certainly. the whole thing, you know. But uh, okay, well, I, you know, if, if you watch if you watch that Dragnet, it, I mean, it's a pretty serious plot. It's just you know how Dan Aykroyd reacts to stuff is funny. Yeah, yeah. yeah. I just it, it, just in terms of of our story plotting and any suggestions that mm-hmm. we make. Um, if, if this is a comedy, we're going to go one way. If, if we have a little more dramatic license, we'll go another. And I wanted to get that clear right up front. Okay. I, I, th- I think I'd like to be more drama. Okay, good. Excellent. Um, another question, uh, that I had was, uh, Dependu Tapley, uh, uh, when you said he's just a foil, that set up a red flag for me. Oh, <laughs> um, a support character is never just anything. Uh, and my question is, if if he is so diametrically opposed from Royanne Ward, why is he his partner? Well, I guess that would be uh, you know assigned. Okay. You know, uh, that's, yeah, that's... I, I think I, I think I may have you know flubbed when I said just a foil. You know, I I, okay. I like him as a character too. But yeah, I see okay. what you mean. Okay. Well, and and because uh, uh, we've we've. Let's. I, I just want to put a question mark over that. And I, I, you know, being assigned, perfect. There's tension there. Uh, we we get to see their relationship develop. La la la. Um, but as we've seen in, uh, for example, the Raira 
revelations, it's kind of cool to come into the middle of a friendship, which gives you then opportunities as a storyteller to write other stories about how they came to be friends. Mm-hmm. Uh, and and coming into the middle of a friendship also implies or or informs the reader that there is a story world that has gone on before the first word of the first mm-hmm. page. And every opportunity you can have to give authenticity and strength to your world by implying events that have gone on before, I think are to be seized or, or at least considered uh, uh, by the writer. Does that make sense? Oh, definitely. Yeah. Okay. Start, starting off in the middle is... Yeah, my, my favorite thing. Yeah. So, and just just exploring, and I put that out to the table as well as something else to possibly consider in our future discussion. Uh, uh, f- possibilities of why uh, Tapley and and Ward are together. If they are friends, how is it possible that a a, a tight ass like uh, Ward is hanging out with a, a free spirit like Tapley? Um, but that can be discussed later. Okay. So Michael, uh, uh, what, what do you see in here that maybe we can shore up or explore different possibilities, um, uh, that, that might give this story some more, more weight and moment. Uh, Hmm. Well, well, something that just came across my head and has nothing necessarily to do with that. But when you're writing this, you mentioned that you might take this into a longer series. Um, so two things was that, you have this thing floating around the city, floating around the world. And I was just wondering, for an ongoing kind of a pl- under plot thread, you have certain countries that are in this world. What if there was a country that was fabled to exist but hasn't been found, but the city once bumped into or came close to it one time and has disappeared? And there are always this myth about they would find it again at some point, and that would have something to do with a much longer story arc that may have nothing to do with this particular story, but I just thought that would be kind of an interesting thing to touch on initially. Yeah. That's how when I wrote my books, that's how I would do it. I would have you know something that would keep going where you have one small arc in the center story, then you have a larger arc and a larger arc after that that keeps people reading on and on. Um, that's and excellent. The other, and the other thing I was thinking that uh, what makes characters real in, in my mind, is when they have something beyond the story, like, too often s- characters are just their characters as they mm-hmm. apply to the story. And then mm-hmm. if you took the story away, who are they and what would they be doing? Because I didn't hear exactly what Ward and Tapri are if they didn't, if, if they weren't partners and if, even if they weren't cops, what would, they, what would their interests be? And these are things that I think will really make them into real people for readers if they have hobbies or interests or fears or aspirations. And if you've already covered those, great. We, we, we didn't hear that yet. But if you already have those, fantastic. But if you don't, those are the things that will really make your characters come alive to readers when they're not just characters or cogs that make the plot move but are real living beings beyond the plot. Because if, if I can ask you, if I can read your story and someone else gives me a situation, I should be able to tell them how your characters would act in that situation after reading your story. Hmm. That's an excellent point. It yeah. is. That, I, I'm sorry, I'm, I'm being slow. I'm writing that down. <laughs> <laughs> and okay. the other thing I was thinking was that, uh, I, I actually think Dave kind of brought it up, but it, you're, you're writing what seems to be kind of a thriller, more a detective novel, kind of a thriller. Um, I mean, the, Dragnet was kind of a weird kind of realism thing, but I, in this story, it sounds almost like you're, you're actually pushing it more toward a thriller. So in that, in that structure, you just start off with something that is initially exciting, and then a little bit of information, and then it gets worse. And the timing, there, there should be a, like a clock ticking at some point that they have to get something done by a certain time. And then that gets cut in half and then cut in half again so that you keep hyping 
the the tension in the stories because that's kind of how we get in the feel of this. It almost strikes me as kind of like a Jim Butcher style, style yeah, thing here. Yeah, very much so. And when you originally told me, I was thinking, is this, a, is this an urban fantasy? And then you got to the setting and went, okay, so it's a general high fantasy. But you seem to be portraying a kind of a detective story. So I'm thinking that maybe it should go along the lines of kind of a, kind of an exciting, you know, tension growing constantly as you move through it, sort of a thriller-based idea. It's urban nice. high fantasy. Yeah, that's what made me love, you know, I, I don't... I don't care what uh, you know politics or whatever. That's why I love Twenty Four, right? Uh, yeah, you know you that go. that tick that literal ticking clock. Um, what? How, how about if I uh, the ritual has to be done at a certain time and right. they if, if it are like kind of getting closer or, or something yeah, yeah. like that. something something natural to the world that everyone knows that it's going to be done at that point, uh. and then for some reason. You discover no, it actually has to be done in less than that time, so so that it compresses that time of solidity. So you suddenly go, "Oh my God, it's even worse than I thought." You know, yeah. and it really tightens it up and pressure and pushes up the tension. Let me toss something at you real quick yeah, too, just on right. that idea, because you've got a floating city that you said moves relatively erratically, mm-hmm. but they have to kind of know where they're going, uh, at least in some measure. So maybe that's your ticking clock: is when the city's in a certain position in relation to the rest of the planet. There's your, your egg timer goes ding. And then if you and, want to have an interesting sort of character, you could have some guy who's like the, the weather forecaster or the current forecaster. He knows where it's mm-hmm. going. He's this kind of crazy old man, and they have to keep rely on him for information. Yeah. Oh, oh, nice. oh, no. Make him, make him one, of the, one of the cult members that is initially under suspicion. Uh, you, you've got this, this, this scattered cult that's the red herring at the, at the onset, right? Yeah, yeah. So, so have them be doing something have them be doing something nefarious and secretive that 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 piques ward and tapley's interest and and affirms them as um um possible uh, uh thieves and and culprits of this crime uh but ultimately what that cult is doing is is researching uh and identifying the 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 way of the island is not random at all and with weather and and currents and so on and so forth, they're actually deducing uh, uh, the, the the flow of the, of the of the island, which at the time seems utterly inconsequential and stupid. But then later on, when they're starting to try and figure out what the hell is going on with this book, ding! Oh crap! It's the location of the island. When is it going to get there? I know who we can ask. And and then you got you've you've laid the you've given your heroes resources without the reader knowing it, that they can then go back to. You, you wow, can have it actually yeah. be that the, the people, the, the cult, who are a red herring in this story are actually going to turn out to be something very important in the later stories if they are the ones who are actually trying to find, like I said, if you had some sort of lost continent, they're actually trying to direct the city there. So they're at the oh, part of a longer yeah. story arc. Yes, nice. I like that. I'm writing again. Hold on. <laughs> Actually, Ben, Ben, I promise. This I'm is gonna Ben's s- story, right? <laughs> <laughs> ben, I am going to write. A, I'm going to compress all of this down into an MP3 and send it to you in a week. I promise. You don't. You don't have to get writer's cramp writing all the notes. But go, go ahead. Feel free. Feel free. Oh, yeah. Right. Ra- did, did, did something else occur to you as you were uh, pondering and contemplating possibilities? Yeah, I've got a lot of questions, and I'm trying. I don't want to derail too much from where we're talking. Yeah, yeah. At least as this part goes, um, I do like what Michael mentioned about those characters and what would they be doing if they weren't doing this. And I do think that I don't think in the confines of this conversation it needs to happen specifically, but I do want to get a better sense of of Ward and you know why is he that 
do does his job at the sacrifice of everything else in his life because I think there's something in there that can that readers can connect to but that's also a very slippery slope because the character that is you know stoically doing his job because it's all he knows how to do that's a that can that I find that a little off-putting sometimes unless there's a good reason for it so I would suggest I'm just throwing that out there I can help yeah, if you've got a good reason, gnarly. I can help. I can help because because I agree. I agree with you, Rye and and Ben. The the ending where Ward uses his grandfather's sword to get free and and solve the ending. That's a little weak for me uh, because it really doesn't affirm your theme. Mm-hmm. Uh, he he's not challenged or tasked to to do what's right, even in the face of everything else that's going on about you. So how about this? Here's a what if for you. What if Royanne's grandfather was uh, the head centurion of the church that, that from which the book was stolen. And he was a heretic. He advocated the chaotic and, and irreverent notion of opening the book that no one has ever opened before and actually led a revolt, an uprising that consumed the city for three years of civil war. And eventually he was put down and all of his descendants have had to bear the horror and the dishonor of this man's actions. And now Royanne has a reason for being the by the rules, by the book, guy he's trying desperately and has achieved the uh, ascension above his grandfather's dishonor he carries the sword around as a reminder he never uses it he never draws it he has other weapons that he uses but he always carries that sword to remind himself of the perils <laughs> of of walking from the true path and in the end he has to use that sword. He has to open the book. He has to, uh, somehow, some way, he has to do what's right, not necessarily what is legal. Does that make I, sense? Yeah. You, you know, I like that so much because it's the opposite of what I had originally. <laughs> and okay. that, that's, uh, I'm, I'm, honestly, I, I, I love the, that new direction. I, I really, I really do like that. There's a twist that came out there too, that I was just thinking about when Dave was talking about that. I agree very much with what, everything he's saying. Um, I, I would offer a twist to that. Um, rather than having him carry the sword as a reminder of what he's done to him, like for himself, mm-hmm. I wonder what it would be like if he was carrying the sword, because that's what you do when you're a member of a family that's been dishonored in that oh. way. It's not a reminder for him. It's a reminder for everybody else. It's, it's a scarlet letter. Yeah. Yeah, yeah, yeah. And, and that, you know, that adds a weight and an explanation for why he wouldn't use it because, you know, I, I'm really sorry that I'm about to do this to you, but if I just watched it, so it's on my mind, but I watched the other guys the other day, Will Ferrell, oh I'm my sorry, God, dude. wooden gun, it's the wooden gun, right? Uh, like it's this, it's this concept of this useless tool and can anything really be done with it? Um, of course, not in a comical sense and with a lot less annoying asshole in it, but, um, you get the idea, right? Like if it was something that he was it's exactly what you said. It's a scarlet That's cool. letter, right? That's perfect. Yeah. And, and if you, and if you, if that makes the, the high priest is coming to him for help that much more of a, a, um, a, a reverence, you know, here's mm-hmm. my opportunity to, to show the world that I am a good person. I can go about beyond my grandfather's treachery. I'm glad you mentioned that because there's, 
as we're talking about this and this direction starts to take shape, there is a concern that I'm starting to develop here. Mm-hmm. Um, I, so you, you told us when you were giving us the pitch, the characters, and then you went into the story. And I'm, I'm grateful for that, um, except for one thing, because you said who the antagonist was. And then when you got into the story, as soon as you started mentioning the high cleric, I knew who the antagonist was. I'm assuming in the context of this story that the reader will not know who the antagonist is until post-fire, post-book Right, loss. big reveal. Right. Exactly. But... If I were to look at your story right now as I am on the screen, I would guess that if I were asked to guess it based on the chain of events. They're asked to track down the cult, and the high cleric is the one that asks them to do it, and she points them at the cult. And it just yeah. feels don't, like you Don't have her do that. Don't yeah, have her do that. It's too easy okay. at that point. Yeah, yeah, yeah. You have, have somebody else. You know, she can arrange to have somebody drop them some information or, or, or appear for questioning or whatever, you know. She doesn't need to sully her hands with that at all. So right. a little less foreshadowing. Exactly. Yeah, yeah. Exactly. and, 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 and you know, there's a lot of tropes in here that you're, you're grabbing onto, and I think that's one of the strengths here is that you're not asking people to, to consider the reinvented wheel in a lot of ways. Mm-hmm. That's cool. Mm-hmm. I like that. But that's, that's a real standout point for me. It leads to something else that I think we're going to have to discuss real quick, which is um, – I, I'm a little lost on something. So as it stands right now, the high cleric is the one who suggests that the tome was stolen and she suggests it was to- stolen by the cult. It was actually stolen by the cult, right? No, it was stolen by no. Liberius. Or by Liberius, sorry. Okay, so she points them at the cult. But she's Liberius, not going to do that, though. She's not going to do that. Yeah, yeah. I'm just thinking in context okay. or the confines of where we're at right okay. now. All right, she, all right. she points them at the cult because she legitimately wants the book back, right? Mm-hmm. No, no. Wait. Yeah, see, it, Dave's on to what I'm doing here, go right? right? Go right. Yes. Asterix? No, 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 no. This is all you now. I've talked enough. You, I, oh. I'm just saying, right? Asterix. Right, right. right. Asterix, dot, dot, dot. Because uh, <laughs> only if the book is lost in a fire can she then have the freedom to take the book and enact the ritual. If the book is returned, it's, it's placed back in the Holy Sancristy, which is heavily guarded. The book has to be stolen and then lost in order for her to have the book that she can then use. So Liberius is a pawn. He's a cat's paw for the, for the, for the high priestess. And he probably doesn't even know it. Uh, uh, she's been cultivating him, uh, uh, for years, goading him, making sure his life is hell, uh, and that the church is the reason for it until finally he, he evolves this plan to steal it. And, and she, she wants him to, so that she can find him, kill him, set the fire and have the world know that the book is burned. Right? Nice. Yes. Yeah. <laughs> All right. Feeling. I got this feeling here, man. What's I that I, feeling? I, I, can't, I can't articulate it yet, but this, this all leads to, I think, a bigger connection point that might work. And I, I want to hear what Michael says about this. Yeah. He, he's probably going to laugh me off the, the internet here, but that's okay. <laughs> go for Just it. Just go with me. Uh, Dahlia is presumed, again, asterisk, to be the sacrifice. But when the ritual happens or doesn't happen with Liberius, it obviously doesn't go off. You said at the end that the high cleric actually decides or determines that she's going to use Warden Tapley as the sacrifice. What if that's not something she's killed that moment? Like there's something about Ward that suddenly stands out to her as, oh, I've had the wrong sacrifice sacrifice all along he's been standing in front of me the whole time if she's the villain and if she is still going to be in some way egging them on that would give her a reason to put them into bad situations or to put them in places that they don't necessarily want to be now the reason i hesitated there is because i have no idea yet how you would do that (laughs) (laughs) yeah this is kind of like a this kind of like a great big 
like prophecy with moving parts type of thing. Yeah. So what would it be if if the whole thing was it actually had to be Ward had to be the sacrifice in the very beginning? Ooh. And the- this is all a setup to position him to track down mm. this book. To oh, put yes. To position to sacrifice. Mm. Yeah. yeah. Nice. Like like uh, all of those all of those devil cult movies where the victim actually has to enter the enter the ritual willingly, uh, so that the, it's all a mind game to get them to rush into the ritual to save the day. And it's like ah. Glad you're here. Take your place on the altar. We're going to cut your heart out. Awesome. <laughs> and it may have to be a situation where they had to get him fired from the job, so he has no backup. He's going to be there all alone. And the yeah. only person who ends up going with him is his loyal companion, who shouldn't be there at all, because they was trying to separate the two of them as well. Oh, because yes. they're trying to isolate him down to being just by himself. But his his best faithful friend, damn it, all right, I'm going to go anyway. And he shouldn't have done it. He's the one who actually proves the point that he does the right thing even though he had nothing to benefit from. That's brilliant. And, and, and we can get rid of Tapley if, if during the, uh, uh, the investigation into the, the Liberius fire and the loss of the, of the, of the tome, maybe, maybe Tapley is framed. He's, he's identified as being in cahoots with Liberius and is jailed. And, and uh, uh, Royen is, is released purely by the special dispensation of the high priestess, but now his boon companion is in jail, and the man who is following the law will not bust his friend out of jail. The man doing the right thing will. Mm-hmm. Right. Oh, that's yeah. fabulous. Moving from the, the reaction to action. Yes, yeah, agency yeah, yeah. baby. Good point. Yep, yep. What else, Michael? Anything else percolating in that brain of yours, sir? Uh, the only thing I'm concerned about is you're going to need, I, well, you don't need, but it certainly would definitely make it a better story if the antagonist, and who is the antagonist in this? Who's, is the high priestess, right? The, the high, right. Yeah, the high priestess. That's not Dahlia, right? No. Okay. The high priestess should, is this going to be first or third person? Uh, first person. I mean, first person. Okay, that make it trickier. But you're going to need to have, it would really be good if you could have the antagonist have a personality and not just be, you know, a dead serious, dull person. I, I, if you ever yeah. seen the, I like, think it was the, the third, I think, season of Buffy where you had the, the mayor who had just an outrageous personality. Mm-hmm. Uh, it made it so much more interesting if the if the antagonist is not just a dull yeah. evil character if they have actually a little humor I mean if, if you remember like uh, Die Hard where you had the guy who's making jokes I mean she should have a a motivation why is this person doing this particularly and what about their character causes them to choose this versus that and if you could develop that character as well as your two main characters, then you'll have a much better, set, you know, forming story. Well, you could, yeah, you could have the 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 high priestess require, uh, you know, daily or or every other day reports from Ward, and have scenes where he's in there, or he has to go to the high priestess to unlock some some litigious or or uh, legal thing that sh- only she has the power to open up for him. And have him go back and speak with her time and again. Ooh, and 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 God, he she could try and seduce him. She could try and and, and get some kind of uh, uh, subtle. I mean, not you know, rip his clothes off and bang yeah. him there on the on the sacristy, but <laughs> but uh, uh, you know that sort of subtle courtly allure, uh, just just to keep him on the hook. And, yeah, like and, did, did that nun just come on to me? <laughs> yeah, right. Well, let's not go there. Let's <laughs> not take it that far. The only but, concern I have in this is that. You have two very different personalities in the two characters. 
Mm-hmm. And it really, I, I actually would think of this as, as a third uh, person book because if you look at the same scene from Ward's point of view versus Tapley's point of view, you're going to give very different impressions. That's and true. If you did it in yeah. third person, you'd be able to really get a much better feel of the difference between these two characters as opposed to just seeing, because if you're it just in Ward's head all the time, you're, you're, you're really not going to appreciate Tapley. But if you're in Tapley's head and Ward's head, you're going to get a much more well-rounded view of the world and each other. And then if you do that, you can also jump into the antagonist's head uh, mm-hmm. at various times. You get to know what that person's like, too. Sure. It just seems yeah. to me that it would be stronger as third in this case than first. And more opportunities for humor, too. Uh, but, but, but mainly because your main character, if, if they're going to be like Dragnet, I mean, that's not a head you want to be in. Yeah, that's a good yeah. point. Yeah. I, it's a really dull character to, I, whose I head did, to be that, in. That didn't occur to me, but you're absolutely right, Michael. This guy is not somebody we want to be traveling around with. You know, uh, <laughs> uh, Harry Dresden is one thing. Uh, uh, Roy Ann Ward, ew, not so much. Yeah, I, I initially went first person because that's you know that's what you do in a detective story. So yeah, we can, we yeah, can break I'm that totally rule. Open. Yeah, no, especially if you go with the with the idea that you know that we were talking about with you know Tapley being separated and stepping in at the end and saving his butt. That's going to be a real tough one to pull off if if you yeah. can't see Tapley leading up to that kicking in the door and throwing the sword through her head or whatever he ends up doing. Mm-hmm. I can tell already he's my boy, though. I can just tell. I yeah, can feel it. I, 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 you're resonating to him, aren't you? Yeah. 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 Um, what else you got, Rye? Well, th- that's the thing. There's a couple, like, I had a bunch of questions written down, but if this direction is where this thing goes, a lot of these questions are invalidated. The The big ones were about the the quote-unquote clues i think that a detective story in a lot of ways is made or broken by its clues absolutely yeah and and since you said this was a detective story my first concern was okay i understand the part you're or the point you're at with the story you haven't necessarily developed those clues yet uh but that needs to happen now i'm starting to wonder if that's needs to be as critical I'm, I'm, I'm thinking out loud here so pardon the hesitation in my voice yeah i guess what i'm getting at is that if the high cleric is prodding them along is egging them along to an eventual conclusion then those clues um don't need to be as perfect but by the same token you there's a trap that we can fall in here too where it they are too perfect if that makes any sense whatsoever yeah. well a yeah and you can have easy. you can have yeah. parallel clues i mean there can be clues that the high priestess has set in play for warden tapley to discover to lead them down the path she wants them to but Ward and, Sh- and Tapley need... Did I say Ward and Shapley? God, I <laughs> might have. Yeah, yeah, you wow, might have. Wow, I've got a Freudian thing working there. <laughs> Ward and Tapley, uh, uh, we've got to have them be good detectives. Yes. So they're going to find stuff that maybe points to this mysterious other force in play. And only at the end, you can do a, a, a Sherlock Holmes thing. And, you know, maybe Ward knew exactly what he was doing when he went there. He just underestimated his, his adversary, but he can come out with a, Oh yes, I knew because I found this and, and this thing that was curious and this rag and this scent that I blah, 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 uh, uh, you know, make them good detectives. So they find not only the clues that the high priestess has laid out, but the clues that she didn't intend them to find mm-hmm. playing off of what ryan said earlier about red herrings and people knowing who your bad guy is too early you have to anticipate that they're going to assume that whoever you say is the bad guy isn't going to be the bad guy yep yep so you're going to have to figure out who they're going to guess it is and then make a character be that target mm-hmm. give them 
it's like the second matrix. You know, it's like it, it, it wouldn't work. So you have to make it so that this this character is going to be the one they're going to go, oh, it's going to be him. In fact, if you really want to be interesting, you could make it appear briefly near the end that Tapley is the bad guy. He's not, but that would be the person that would say no one would expect him, but that's why you would expect him. Yeah, like how did he get out of prison or, yeah, like that. But, but, it, well, but you have to look for that one yeah. character that people are not going to think is, and then that's the one they'll think mm-hmm. it is. And yeah. then you have to you know, direct, give some clue to that, which will cause the reader to just zoom in on it and go, that's him, and then it's not. Then, that, mm-hmm. then you'll catch him off guard. Nice. Yeah, that's a good point because when I read a detective story, I, unfortunately, I play the guessing game where the whole way through, I'm like, oh, that's the bad guy, right? As soon as, <laughs> here's character A, B, and C. C did it. This is like page two. By page 40, I'm on H did it and then Y, et cetera, et cetera. Yeah. And I, this could lead to another point here because so far I've seen little or no use for Dahlia except as a sacrifice. No, I, let me, let me tuck, you. I'm glad you brought her up. Okay, well, let me just toss this real fast. Yeah, yeah, go, Leading go. up to her being a sacrifice and with some work, she could make a good possible... Love interest. Uh, love interest, but also bad guy. Yeah. Did she do Ooh. it? She's inside the church. Yeah. She knew where the book was. Tapley or whoever, because it's usually Tapley, um, has an attraction to her, but what if she's the bad guy? <laughs> You know what? We can't we can't go hitting on the bad guy here. That just doesn't make any sense. And it's not until she's seen bound and gagged on the floor, and even then, maybe like sure. is this all a trick? Sure. You know, yeah. Or was yeah. she betrayed by her by her accomplice? Blah blah blah. Sure, yeah. yeah. I I I kind of went. I, I like that. That's that's got that's got bones and legs. Um, I I was kind of one thing that you brought up, Ben, in in the telling of your story is that uh, uh, the, the the priestess says it's probably an evil cult. Dahlia tells them. No, it's not them. The cult is weak. Uh, uh, there's a big fire, and Liberius dies, and Dahlia tells them that the tome is stolen. <laughs> too much telling. Uh, too much letting secondary characters do your protagonist's work. Uh, let the protagonists come to the conclusion that the cult is weak through their own efforts. Uh, let uh, Ward burst into the burning building and discover that the tome is gone. Uh, uh, let your characters find out that information. Don't, don't de detooth them, detooth them. Sure. Uh, don't, don't remove their teeth and their, and their agency by having someone else do their work. Does that make sense? Oh, definitely. Yeah. Now that said, uh, when they begin to suspect the evil cult, uh, uh, and it's maybe I, I was thinking about that, you know, quote unquote evil cult. I'm wondering if that cult is quote unquote evil uh, because they don't ascribe to the uh, our God is the one God thing that all the other deities and minor temples and so on that are fraught in this floating island uh, actually are, but they actually honor all of the gods and are, are found as, as patrons and, and curators and honorers of all of the deities, which makes them just totally weird and in some cases evil, um, which gives them, first of all, ingress into every temple in the, on, on the place that will have them. Uh, secondly, you've got a very diverse uh, patronage of this faith, this philosophy, uh, uh, and then Dahlia could be their contact here. And, you know, certainly everything the boys have heard up to this point is it's evil. Dahlia is the one that says, well, no, we're just open-minded, which is the same thing for some people. 
Um, <laughs> so, <laughs> and, and then she can be the, the guide. Let me show you what we're doing. And that's where they find the clues about what they're really doing and ha ha. And, and this relationship can evolve. I like the idea that Tapley's always hitting on her. I also like the idea that Ward finds her, uh, uh, strangely appealing. Um, and he probably doesn't get a lot of dates, uh, <laughs> being, being the, 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 the undishonored, uh, grandson of the heretic, yep. but as it may be. What do you, what do you think? Does that have... Does that have mojo something in play with? I think so. The uh, I've had the cult of the cult. They're called the cult of eight points, and in the the short story, they're kind of the big. You know, they're kind of the bad guys there, and they are all about like chaos, and that kind of goes in. You know, with chaos and order coming together with when, when, sure. with all the different gods. Well, especially if there's eight promontories on the island, but no one's really noticed that. Uh, uh, you know, it's, yeah, it's the eight points of the island. This was the God of the island and the God embraces all of your gods. Hence so we it's love an you. ability to go in a certain direction. Yeah. Oh yeah. Awesome. Which is why they're doing the research that they're doing. Oh, oh you know what? Building. That gave me an idea. That just gave me, I don't know. Maybe it's a terrible My idea. God, we gave him an idea. <laughs> <laughs> it hurts, guys. Oh no. Is that allowed? Yeah, it happens. Um, if, you know, if I were a living in this major floating city and you know it's as populous and well-to-do as it was maybe one of the things i'd want to figure out was how to predict that path and uh maybe this cult is very much going in the other direction acknowledging the fact that the entire reason a city is floating above the world is in itself chaotic and to make its path regimented or predictable would go against everything that it stands for so that's their their thing Okay. It's yeah. To keep that path chaotic, and that that helps attach their the cult, and the idea that the tome will event or the ritual requires that final destination or prediction of destination for the island. That'll help kind of give you a, a connecting point for those concepts. And that that is also assigns a nice stigma to them. I like yeah. that. I mm-hmm. like that. Michael, you got anything else uh, in your in uh, bouncing around in there? The only thing I came up with is uh, I noticed that. There's really not any strong female characters in this, mm-hmm. except for the bad guy, <laughs> which, yeah, which is good not point. good. <laughs> now, we can make Dahlia a, a strong female character, but you're right. There is a distinct lack of, of feminine representation. And, and, and right now in fantasy, that's kind of a big deal. <laughs> yeah. Yeah, that's. Yeah. Uh, so, I think that's one of those trappings with being a detective story, too. Yeah. Yeah. So yeah. if, if yeah. you know, if you don't have something like that in there i mean I, I wouldn't necessarily put it in there if you don't want it in there it's certainly and you don't want to have a token you know female just for the purpose mm-hmm. of being a female but on the other hand uh it might just be something you might want to think about sure well there could be a crime lord uh who's a female that that uh tapley has contacts with that they go to for information um you know there, there can be a, a range of supporting characters yeah. or you know you can also play with gender you know what if tapley's yeah. a girl what if ward's a, a girl that's something to ponder. Um, that's a good point. That's something that you guys brought up when I was in Ben's chair. Actually, that's right. That's was, right. You know, I and I've I've embraced that challenge, and I'll tell you right now, Ben, you want you want to mess with your own head. That's how you do it. At least that's what happened to me. <laughs> Write your characters' names down, and then just point at them and go, "Girl, girl, now let's see what happens." Because let's face it, if any one of these characters could just as easily be a female. There's, yeah. there's nothing, oh, yeah. there, you haven't said anything here that says they couldn't, so that's not a bad idea at all. Right, right, right. 
and and yeah. just one last thought. Actually, no, um, we're 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 running out of time. I, I there's I, I we have we have time for <laughs> one last round around the table. Uh, uh, so we're gonna take one turn around for for Michael, Ryan, and myself. Mm-hmm. Uh, uh, final thoughts, final words of wisdom, uh, uh, last minute things that you didn't get a chance to talk about during the actual workshop. Um, anything along those lines? Uh, send Ben off with a lot of gold in his pocket uh, uh, to go and write with Michael. Uh, what do you have for for final urgings, words of wisdom, and thoughts for Ben? I, I I think it's a really good idea. I like the concept. I think if you write it in, in it's all going to depend on how you write it. I mean, ideas are good, but execution is everything. So if you, you if you give really good personalities to your characters and good and bad, and if you don't get overwhelmed trying to bring out the world building so mm-hmm. that it it you know basically drowns the story, uh, I think you'd have a good story here. Yeah, yeah, mm-hmm. absolutely. Rye, what about you, sir? Uh, yeah, I agree 100% with what Michael just said. I think you've got a great story here. I think you've got an awesome opportunity um, to really play with reader expectation. Your readers yes. are going to be guessing and trying to prove themselves smarter by outguessing you the whole way. So I would suggest keep an eye to that as you're writing this and perhaps even take it a step further and just keep tossing those, those juicy worms out on the hook into the <laughs> lake and let them take the bait and then... Don't just keep yanking it away, but on those key points, go surprise. And yep. I think you'll really have something hot to cook with here. Absolutely. Absolutely. And I will, I will affirm what everyone has said. This, you've got good story mojo working here, Ben. We don't have these kind of conversations if there's not something to work with. So, yes, definitely. Mm-hmm. Um, I, one, one thing that occurred to me was uh, uh, if, if at the beginning of the story, um, uh, Ward is, is very, very, very down on his luck, uh, and Tapley is actually uh, kind of a, a street dude who's been helping him out out of charity, um, but not really necessarily. You know, he, he likes the guy, but he's got these street connections. And when the 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 high priestess comes to um, give him the job, she just assumes that Tapley is Ward's partner and addresses him as thus. And Ward is too terrified to correct her, and so the the expectation is set. That, that Tapley is Ward's partner. And so you've kind of got that, they're thrust together, but you've also established the fact that Tapley likes Ward already and Ward is, has a debt to this guy. So just, just a thought along those lines. Other than that, uh, uh, play, yes, play richly with the, the, the wonderful uh, layering of, of revelations and, and red herrings. And, and as Ryan said, the, the subverting the reader expectation at mm-hmm. every turn. Um, I, I, I think you're going to have awesome, awesome stuff. I don't envy you the task ahead, uh, cause this is going to be, uh, this is going to require a lot of, uh, uh, discipline. Mysteries always do. You can't pants a mystery necessarily. Um, so having some sort of structure to it in terms of the, the layering of the story revelations are, are, is always a part of that, but that's, that's just awesome. So, Ben, thank you so much. I know it's never easy to, to put an idea out there, uh, and we are very grateful that you did so. Thank you, sir. Oh, yeah. That, I mean, thank you, guys. I, I wish I could do this every day. <laughs> every day. Uh, what, what, are, what are you guys doing tomorrow? <laughs> we got plans. Sorry, dude. Uh, <laughs> but I'll tell you what. Here's the deal. Wait a minute. Wait a minute. Is he going to bring donuts? Ooh, donuts? <laughs> oh, I'll bring crawlers. I'll bring oh, bear claws <laughs> and, and apple fritters. Players, hey, yeah, get it, awesome. Um, but here's the deal, uh, Ben. If you go out and write this, as I know you will, write this. 
podcast it, ebook it, get a get a big six to give you a fat advance on it and publish this bad boy. And when you do, you come back and we will hold a knighting ceremony and we will make you a knight of the round table. Can I sing the song? There's a song. <laughs> we dance whenever we're able. No, 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 yeah. no. We're not going to be derivative of Monty, Hi- Monty Python. That's not <laughs> happening. Uh, uh, although if you heard the first nighting ceremony of John Walker, there, there is certainly room for that. Um, but, uh, but that's the deal. So, so please do write this thing because we want to read it. Um, Michael Sullivan, you today is the reason you, you really demonstrated the reason why we bring seasoned authors onto the show. Your contributions to this discussion mm-hmm. were invaluable in, in bringing in those, those seasoned perspectives that, that those of us that haven't done it so much, we don't jump on all that much. So thank you so much for making the time and, and sharing with us. We really appreciate that, sir. Well, thank you. Although I, you guys did a great job as well. I'm not sure that I was all that different. Uh, <laughs> Just well, had we, different op- opinions, and that's kind of how writing works. <laughs> we made a good team, all of yes. us, I think. Mm. This was good synergy on this episode. Indeed. This is awesome. Um, and uh, dear friends, thank you, as always, for hitting that play button. We are always grateful when you do that. If you enjoyed this as much as we did, and I'm betting you did, uh, Feel free to spread the word. Let folks know about the roundtable. Uh, we always appreciate bringing new listeners to the to the earpieces so we can get into their heads too, which is all part of our plan to ultimately rule the potosphere. <laughs> um, but uh, uh, please feel free to swing out to iTunes, give us a rating. Uh, we can continue this discussion, and many of you have on the posts for this uh, in the comments for the posts on the website itself at www.roundtablepodcast.com. If you have ideas or something that we missed, put them into those comments and I'll make sure Ben's aware when they show up and uh, we can continue the discussion there, which is a wonderful thing. And you can always drop us a line at the table at roundtablepodcast.com. Uh, so, uh, wow. Now, <laughs> we're, we're all sitting here going, that was good. I need a smoke. Yeah, I need, I need, need a smoke, maybe a belt of whiskey, because uh, this is a noir piece, and we're going there. But you know what, friends? This is not over. This particular chapter of the roundtable uh, uh, is, is done from an audio perspective, but in a couple of days, we're doing it all over again. More awesome guest hosts, more fabulous guest writers and their stories, more workshopping goodness to be had. But that's happening in a couple of days, and we hope you come back to us. But between now and then, Rye, what is it essential that they do? <laughs> Stay hydrated, baby. Stay that's hydrated. <laughs> because that's so important to get the right amount of fluids. It keeps that's your right. electrolytes balanced, and you can write more. Uh, as Brian would say, go write. Uh, uh, and I will tell you, you find what you're looking for all the time. So don't look for bad. Don't look for reasons why it's not going to work. Look for wow. Look for yes. And you will find it. I promise. Uh, we will see you in a couple of days, dear friends. Until then, stay cool, stay frosty, be awesome. And we will talk to you soon. Bye-bye. Cheers. This episode is copyrighted 2012 by the Roundtable Podcast and is released under a Creative Commons attribution, non-commercial, share-alike license. That means don't sell it, but you can share it all you like. And you can even use pieces of it in your own derivative work 
as long as you attribute us as the source and release the work under the same licensing terms. Theme music composed and performed by the talented Hepcats of Brotown, Gary Gold, David LaBroyere, Billy Nobel, and Matt O'Donnell. If you'd like to be a guest writer or guest host, or learn more about the Roundtable Podcast, please visit our website at www.roundtablepodcast.com or visit our Facebook page at facebook.com slash roundtablepodcast. Our Twitter tag is at writerspodcast or just send us an email at thetable at roundtablepodcast.com. Thanks for listening.